Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Blit, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. Step back for one minute and look at the big picture. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We often bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Or is he really my older brother? Today we are discussing a movie in which nothing happens. (laughs) Relic. The ghost does some laundry, patches up some drywall, and I think rearranges some furniture. But other than that, nope. Opens Nothing some doors. Happens. I think it takes down more drywall than it patches up. But you know what made me, what actually I thought of during this movie is how ideally suited this would be for a Halloween Horror Nights maze, a walkthrough maze. Like at Universal Studios? Right, where you're walking through and the blackness on the walls gets progressively worse. And then you go into the other room and the washing machine is going all nuts and rocking back and forth. And then you go into another room and all the wild walls start closing in on you. Yeah, and it gets smaller and smaller. And then like hands come out of the walls through the holes in the plaster and try to grab you and stuff. And then like in the last room, there's just a little mummified corpse on the ground. Yeah, just like shadows lurking all over the place. They don't even have to touch you. So the corpse on the floor... Her dream, her first dream where she goes to the old cabin that was her father's cabin, right? It was her grandfather's. Her grandfather's. And her grandfather established this idea of his mind going. He wasn't all there by the time he died. Yeah, which happens to probably the majority of old people. And quite literally, the bones of that house became the bones of the new house. The doors and, and some of the windows and things that they used. Most notably, the window on the front door, yeah. Right. And so the bones transplant the evil presence from the cabin into the new house? I guess. But we're dealing with larger themes because on the surface, yeah, not a lot happens. 
there are the old tricks for the old horror movies. There's bumps and there's scraping sounds and there's lots of fades and lots of surreal imagery and the use and the interposition of dreams uh, and the actual story. Um, stuff being out of focus and as you're trying to squint and see what it is that's that's coming toward the camera one of the other actors steps in front so it's obscured and then by the time we get back to it it's gone that kind of stuff yeah but they also didn't do a lot of those horror conventions like there was nobody popping up behind her they didn't they threw away the opportunity to do something fun with Edna's return or whoever that was when Edna's body is back in the house or Edna's presence No one is walking up behind them and putting a hand on their shoulder. Nobody is showing up in mirrors. Like, if you're going to do all of these horror conventions, like, at least get a scare out of us. They didn't do anything. So, in short, no cheap scares, no stings, or the things that we're so accustomed to as American audiences. So, does this qualify as a horror movie? Yeah, it's a horror movie. I mean, it's got golemy monsters chasing them through the upside down. So uh, exactly. I always said the same thing. I said she's definitely in the upside down, right? When she's in the, the, the narrowing hallway. But uh, I thought I thought that she was in the upside down. But then suddenly she reconnects with her mom. Yep. Like she can't get out. And then all of a sudden she's like in the house again, running up the stairs to meet her mom. It's possible that she could have just gotten lost and gotten turned around and then started panicking. But, but when it was, it was also changing. It will. Yes. When the walls start shifting and she starts getting squeezed or entombed in it, then that's the first time in the movie that something actually happens that's undeniably supernatural, unnatural. Yes. And then there's pretty much only one other time. And that's when the golem monster is like chasing them in the upside down so that there's an actual like physical pursuit and conflict, except that thing, whatever it was, is completely neutered after Kay goes all sympathetic for it. Right. And so I chose Relic because Relic is one of the few new releases, newer releases that we are able to get our hands on in this day and age of being trapped inside a house that seems to be narrowing at every turn. So... What did you know about this movie going in? I guess about as much as you knew about this movie coming out of it. (laughs) I knew Emily Mortimer. Emily Mortimer is awesome. That Jake Gyllenhaal produced this? Yep. What is that all about? As well as the Russo brothers, executive producers and directors of Avengers. Anyway, you're right. Not a lot happens until Edna comes back. And uh, something is obviously very wrong because I would argue that the first supernatural thing is that absurdly dark jet black bruise on her chest, which no medical professional would look at and be like, oh, you bumped yourself. Hey, that happens. So that was pretty graphic. (laughs) That was kind of Irish. But we go along through, but we go along through this movie. And when you come out the other side, apparently you get it or you don't because the director the insanely young Natalie Erica James. So young, in fact, that I can't find her birth date anywhere. And it's not to try to young shame her or age shame her or anything stupid like that. It's amazing that she's so young, but this is her first feature film after like four short films or whatever. And it uh, and she has made no secret about what this movie was about. This movie is about her experiences with her Japanese grandmother. She's half Japanese. And when she went to visit her in this old, as she called it, traditional Japanese house, as her grandmother was experiencing the first real definitive symptoms of Alzheimer's disease. 
So it was the first time that her grandmother didn't remember who she was. And that's very sad. So this entire movie is about Edna's descent into Alzheimer's. Now this is, you know, conceptually, it could be all happening in her mind like Capone. And you can see the themes where the place is, the house is no longer familiar to her. Things are decaying. She's kind of trapped inside her own house the same way she's trapped inside her mind. She becomes a completely different person. And at one point remembers and is fond of her daughter and her granddaughter. And at other times doesn't know who they are. I didn't give you this. You're trying to steal my things. Get out of my room. This is my house. That kind of stuff. And so once you apply that to the larger theme of the movie, you quote unquote get it. You understand. However, somebody forgot to tell us that, right? So we're stumbling through this movie in a Capone sense where we cannot discern what is actually happening and what's happening as a hallucination or a dream or somewhere inside her mind. The backstory is lovely and touching and very sad, but like you said, how are we supposed to know? Is she going to sit down with every one of her viewers and tell them the story? This is a movie that is made carefully, but it's made carefully in this one scheme that we, like you said, have to be made aware of. So if you don't get that point, if you don't get it, and it's not as if, you but know, But I the do people... get it, I, 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 but I got it. Like you get the dementia thing. You, you, That's the big question. Is she losing it or is something really happening? And then the, the movie definitively states at the end that something is happening. So we have to ask the question, can this movie stand alone as a scary horror movie, which it purports to be, without that theme fully tied and woven throughout in a way that's front and center and and obvious to the viewer? I don't get it. Like, we don't understand the director's personal connection to this very real, very unfortunate thing that happens. But what does that actually do with, have to do with the movie? Because the movie is very clear about posing the question of if what's happening is actually happening in her mind. So let's break it down by element. Uh, first of all, most noticeable for me is I was trying to get a sense of musically what this movie was. It didn't have an overt score. And as a matter of fact, I had trouble sometimes determining if what I was hearing was score or was sound effects. And supposedly some of these sounds, uh, which doubled as the score, were intended to mimic the memory loss and sensorial impairment as described by certain dementia patients. But there was, as you said, practical things that were happening. And based on that premise, that allegory, yes, Kay was genetically in line and was beginning to exhibit the first signs of the bruising that would ultimately color her entire life and personality, and and she would succumb to the same thing that Edna did, who apparently succumbed to the same thing that her grandfather did before her. My hypothesis was that when Sam was in the Upside Down and all, like, trapped, and Kay was struggling with Edna, we don't know what was happening, that something at that point happened where she was like infected or she was turned and didn't really set in until after that post-it note, I am loved, kind of triggered her. I mean, that obviously was the turning point, right, where she decides that she's not going to run away from this thing anymore or she's not going to abandon this thing, right? Or something happened when the thing, the Edna thing, was trying to pull Kay back through the hole over the mantle and Sam was struggling to pull her back into some kind of normal reality or at least a reality from which they had an escape from the house. 
I mean, there were a lot of things that this movie didn't connect exactly because I'm not sure if it's possible to universally connect a theme to what is a practical horror movie. Um, Edna says that it's here. It's under the bed. And so she, she looks under the bed and that thing breathes and there's a living thing under the bed. Or maybe so she thought or so she thought she saw. On screen, there's definitely a physical presence that we can see that's breathing. Did she imagine that? Because then she gets thumped on the head and has a very unrealistic reaction to see having just seen a living thing under the bed. Well, let's break it down. If there was a living, breathing, moaning, subtly moaning thing under there, then what was it? Why doesn't she investigate further? Exactly. So there wasn't something there. Otherwise, she would have investigated further or we would have found out what it was. Was the thing down there the 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 mummy, the flaccid mummy thing? Did Edna become the placid, flaccid thing? Well, there was definitely another entity. Kay is walking towards Edna and behind Kay, there's a shadowy figure who presumably is the Dobby Edna or who is the, <laughs> the Voldemort Edna, right? At the end. I mean, there's definitely other presences. Kay is playing... Moonlight Sonata on the piano or trying to, I thought that would have been a good opportunity for her to say, I used to know this so well and I just can't remember it anymore. Would have been pretty oh, telling. They didn't use that opportunity. opportunity. But there was there a, was definitely the shadow in the bathroom when there was no Edna. Yes, and there was the the figure upstairs and you could see But the, that's all this was all just something happening in Kay's mind. Like nothing happened. What does it matter if there was a shadow moving in the in the bathroom that she sees through the crack in the door if there's no Edna and there's actually no presence then it's just Kay whether she's succumbing to dementia or the first signs of it or not seeing things like we all see things I don't know I thought we were in Edna's mind Edna's house which doubles as Edna's mind and when we get these flashes of image and memory that are disparate because obviously we're weaving in this narrative with other memories uh, memories which Kay can't possibly have of her grandfather being found dead in the cabin right and then there were glimpses of her mother falling off to ultimately ultimately become the rotting corpse on the side of the bed but when you get these disparate images like Capone that could be attributed to lazy filmmaking if it had unless it has a specific purpose they could throw some random images in there I know how thematically this fits into the movie I'm not sure where to put it well we don't want to lose that whole thing so just put it in there in like a creepy surreal ring slash ringu surreal montage horror montage Let's just put her hair in front of her face because it would be kind of creepy even though the whole scene means nothing. A disconcerting effect. But it means nothing if the whole scene is just an old woman talking to herself. What's scary about an old woman chatting to herself in, in the doorway? Nothing. It's sad in the dementia sense. But for the purposes of a horror movie, that wasn't scary in and of itself. What was scary was the idea that we couldn't sense from whence this dread was coming. Where was the threat? You know what was scary? What was scary? Her, like, stabbing or, like, beating herself in her bruised chest. Yeah, the sneak does this thing when she watches movies where she'll throw her hands up and kind of turn her face away. It's a very dramatic, like, what kind of reaction. And that's the first <laughs> time I've ever seen Kelly do that. She threw her elbows up and looked away because the stabbing in the chest and the all squishy noises was just too much. That was the only, arguably the only shocking, scary moment 
in the film, except for when Edna turns to face Sam in this case and she has the knife sticking out of her face. The bathroom scene really worked for me in a scary sense, but was then completely deflated like a moment later when it just became like an old irritable granny being like, leave me alone. Right. She like storms out of the bathroom and into her room. And then it's just a grandma behaving childishly and nothing creepy is happening. Yeah. Or she's acting out because she's scared and confused and no longer has a sense of herself. So I think it's obvious, right? Once we have the context, the director's very clear agenda and context in mind that we can assert that Edna's transformation at the end, uh, the Edna guise of what she used to be removes the vestiges of the persona that Kay and Sam, to which they were accustomed. The old Edna falls away. And what's left after she's been ravaged by dementia is a completely different being. Something discolored and changed and shriveled and is completely different, but no less worthy of love and acceptance. The grandmother and the mother that you loved after dementia just isn't the same and is never going to be the same. And it may be hard for you to accept, but you can embrace that person. And so if we don't have that allegory firmly in place, yeah, it was a little bit confusing. But from all indications, there was something else in the house. From all indications, there were two Ednas. Maybe there was the shrivel Edna, Dobby Edna thing running around. The Edna that was chasing them through the house was the one that ultimately had its skin removed and was shown for what it was at the end. But there were definitely dual presences. There was definitely the other Edna, as well as the Edna, the Edna that they were familiar with. And I get that that's subversive, but for the purposes of a horror movie, it was confusing enough so I couldn't rely on my grasp. Like, oh, I've got this movie figured out. Where we drop in the story, there's only one Edna. It's the Dobby Edna. And and she's masquerading as the Edna Edna? Yeah. And okay. then otherwise, there's an evil presence in the house that plays tricks on your your mind and, and what you think you see. And ultimately, that Edna is the one who comes to prominence? Because if they uncover the Dobby Edna and they cuddle with her at the end, what happens to Edna Edna? Edna Edna was long gone before we even come into the story. She's still in the woods? Or she's been fully transformed into her new thing. There's like a progression of Ednas. There's the Edna that we first see has already succumbed to whatever darkness, whatever thing that's that's ailing her, that's infecting her. And then there's the ring Edna in the Upside Down, who actually really isn't pursuing them for any... It seems like she, it's more of a... When you look at it, when you look back at it, it seems like it's more of a cry for help than it is like a physical attack or assault, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, then there's the Dobby Edna that's kind of revealed as having kind of been underneath all of this. So you're saying that the scariest moment of the film wasn't a scary moment either? It was her like, please hug me, please love me? Yes, this is exactly what I'm saying. There are only two supernatural things that happen, the shrinking room and then the ring Edna chasing them. But the ring Edna chasing them is completely neutered because ring Edna is actually not trying to be scary. It's like calling for help or something. There are too many Ednas. Because maybe Ring Edna was Edna Edna, and maybe Edna Edna was Dobby Edna. As a matter of fact, your misinterpretation of this movie is as bad as the misconception of Dobby. Dobby was a lovely house elf, and the Dobby Edna label as a pejorative is pretty mean. Fine, the mummy Edna. 
the, the ring the, Edna. The, the, but, the E.T. Edna. And being that the director is half Japanese, she definitely leaned on the gothic horror, the Japanese horror elements, where not a tremendous amount happens. I think the jump scares and the cheap scares, as I call them, are American conventions, and they are lowest common denominator scares to get people in the, in the theaters for these. Yeah, but usually those cheap scares have some kind of story point, like the floating decapitated head in Jaws is kind of a cheap scare. But it's furthering the destruction that jo- that the Jaws shark is perpetrating or whatever on Amityville. Yep. So let me give you one choice review from Rotten Tomatoes, one of the users. So you have the traditional dumb and boring, not scary unless you think the general idea of death and old people is scary. <laughs> and then my favorite, one half star out of five, four kids, period, electric out, period. So mad I wasted my charged laptop for this, period. Worst movie I have ever seen, period, ever, period, horrible, period, makes no sense, period, answers no questions, period, awful, no period. I was hoping all that punctuation was going to pay off. Yeah, but but <laughs> critics liked it. And so I agree. I'm Like you, I expected this movie to hold its own so that I could find my footing inside a horror movie. Themes be damned. Was it scary for you? It was so bad. I was just, it was, everything was kind of laughable at the end. Yeah. There were maybe two moments where I felt genuine fear, and that was when she was stabbing herself in the chest in the bath. And the second moment was when Edna almost totally levels me when she stares down Kay at the dinner table. She gives her the coldest, hardest, most absent stare that's terrifying. I think that's the entire reason Robin Nevin was cast, right? (laughs) She was great at it. The stare communicated everything that I needed from her. Relic deals with the most primal, scary thing in life. And that is when you think you know somebody and then you find out they are not who you think they are. I mean, granted, the whole illusion in life is that we think we know anybody, right? Because we're all much more complicated than what any one of us could experience, even spending a lifetime with a person. But when you think that you know somebody and you find out that you are wrong, that is terrifying. And when Edna looks at Kay the way she does at the dinner table, it communicated to me that their connection was severed, that they no longer knew each other. Kay doesn't know this Edna. Edna, for whatever reason, is detached from this Kay. And then anything is kind of possible. And that was scary to me. Very lovely. I didn't get that at all. So the two moments that you liked that were scary were not scary to me in the slightest. (laughs) Like the stabbing thing, I was like, oh, she's stabbing herself. That's gross. And and the dinner moment completely passed me by. What was scary to me was that I didn't know where this movie was coming from. I didn't know from whence the threat would come. I didn't know if there was going to be a threat. I was waiting to see what would happen. And because I couldn't brace for the thing, I knew it was a horror movie. And so my mind puts out all these feelers, these these sensitive receptors to try to pick up what's scary. And I got tingles. I got spidey senses from all over the place. So while you can go back and once that kind of level of, te- of tension is diffused after you've seen it and you go back, like it's hard to watch the Blair Witch Project again and get the same feeling as not knowing what's going to happen. It's a beautiful thing to be able to watch a horror movie and not know where it's going from the trailers. So I was pretty scared. It was scary even 
even if some of the things never panned out or never ultimately were in anyone's were practically real if they were just in somebody's mind because I couldn't tell. So in that way, it was scary for me. Um, I did get a couple of those hair raising moments. I wouldn't say that the washing machine was one of them, but definitely waiting for the jump scare and bracing myself for things that never came were pretty agonizing. Huh. It's like as if you didn't get released from the jump scare. Right. And you just held the tension the whole time. I, you know, the thing is, I just didn't care. Like, I didn't care enough to hold that tension. I was more scared waking up this morning at 5 o'clock to running feet in my house Uh-oh. than I was watching this movie. Just as a basic horror movie, regardless do of it. whether or not something utterly or something actually Don't do happens, it, Wes. No? No, I'm don't do it. I'm giving Relic 2020 an all right rating. It was scary. You love to just be a contrarian. Nope. It was scary in that it was unpredictable and maybe a little bit unclear, but it was hair-raising enough for me, who has gone through so many horror movies, it doesn't even register anymore for me. It was a different kind of muted, understated, what the hell is happening kind of scary for me, and it was enough. You're so weird. Are you like Dobby Wesley? Have you succumbed to some weird (sighs) cinematic malady? Man, have I numbed you over the course of so many bad movies uh, that when you see a good one, you just lump it in because thematically it's not as obvious or it's not bag of hammers enough for you? I like movies that actually where something actually happens. (laughs) It will all be tied together seamlessly and it will ramp up to an intensity heretofore unseen in Relic 2. It's not happening. It's not Relic happening. Relic 2, the... The the return of the mold? No. <laughs> I'm in a bad mood. Plumber woke me up at 5 in the morning. An all right from Wes, a boring from Iris. Let us know what you think about Relic from 2020. Because like Wes said, there's not much to watch these days, so why not, <laughs> why not watch something boring? 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. We appreciate your support. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the rock podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interview. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.